Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday, 19th of February 2019. Mark Pender is stateside. Good morning to you, Mark. And Thank I'm you. Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Okay, so plenty as usual in the calendar over coming days, including another round of US-Chinese trade talks that kicks off today, FOMC minutes are due Wednesday, and with the European flash February PMIs, they're out on Thursday. But before we get there, it's probably worth noting that while last week was another poor one for the European economy, there are also some surprisingly soft economic reports from the US too. Not that the stock market seems to care. Anyway, I guess it begs the question, is the US catching a European cold or is this just a simple case of volatility in the monthly data? Mr. Pender, thoughts, please. Well, okay, let's first address the issue of the volatility in the monthly data and this being um, winter. And that seems to always be uh, pops up as an issue um, and it seems to be understating um, a seasonality. Now, the statistical agencies um, have been looking into this for years and they say that there's uh, no issues. And I, so we have to take, I think, retail sales, uh, last week's retail sales report, a, a, a shocking um, plunge, 1.2% um, on the month. And, um, and let's just talk about the typical seasonality, even if there is uh, nothing particularly um, uh, funny about uh, wintertime, is um, uh, uh, retail sales in December, um, are, of course, are, are very heavy, much, much heavier than any of the other months. And to get a monthly comparison, and say, so any comparison with November always looks fa fabulous because November is a you know is um, a, a much smaller month for retail sales so the uh, to, to have a look at it month to month um, uh, seasonal adjustments are uh, uh, are applied and they bring down December but because um, December is so big that is a very large effect so any miscalculation uh, in the seasonal adjustment can, um, have it, or it does have a, a larger impact on a month like December. And then January is going to be the opposite. The next report we get for January is a much, much lower month for retail sales. So the opposite happens. So the seasonal adjustments add uh, much more. So if all the months are even, uh, then seasonal adjustments are, are pretty easy. But when you have these uh, big spikes in something like retail sales, it does play with the numbers. But I really do believe we have to take these numbers at face value, the retail sales numbers, because they were just so extraordinarily weak throughout. Um, and uh, So were and there I, any special factors involved in the headline data? Is there anything you can you know, point at as being, well, look, you know, that's bad, but that particular element may just be a one-off? Well, well, let's talk about that. Uh, the uh, I think auto sales are going to be a big factor coming up. Mm -hmm. I'll get I'll get to that in a minute. They were a very big plus for December, even though you would never know it. Without autos, which is about twenty percent of retail sales, and which are not really a holiday gift items for most people, uh, and um, not the people I, I know, I, know. <laughs> I think the average person is is roughly spending like nine hundred dollars, according to Gallup survey. I, um, th their number is about 900, somewhere in there. Uh, so, you know, a car costs a lot more than that. Anyway, uh, of course, you know, in any case, uh, uh, retail sales without autos fell 1.8%. And the only other plus in the data, December's data, was building materials, which is, you know, not real. Another pl place that's not really a holiday centered 
um, item. But the sales, what was really telling for for me was the sales at um, uh, non-stores. Now, this is an old component. It hasn't been updated to to say e-commerce, even though e-commerce dominates these non-store sales. Uh, and so that is a significant uh, uh, signal is a 3.9% monthly drop for non-store retailers. So all the talk about webs and all this other stuff, it, uh, uh, strength for, for, uh, for, for these firms, it didn't, it didn't pan out to, uh, to anything. And this is just in a real quick aside, uh, a reminder that uh, so many of these December holiday rough uh, indicators that pop up that you, you measure uh, credit cards, uh, um, other kinds of things like this, they, they never, ever show anything that's reliable. They, they seem to be always going up. So um, I wasn't totally, completely shocked that it was so weak. But uh, it certainly did shock the forecasters. I mean, the lowest estimate was minus uh, 0.1%. Now, let me just real quick go into um, motor vehicle sales for January. Now, we already have preliminary data on unit sales. And unit sales also involve uh, business sales. So it's not a one-to-one comparison with the consumer. But uh, this number fell very sharply in January. And so it looks like retail sales aren't going to be getting any help at all, on the contrary, for January from the auto sector. Um, And we have a red book, uh, which is a weekly uh, tally. They have their own sample, their own store sample. And they're showing uh, uh, slowing rates of growth, um, uh, especially uh, uh, moving into this month. Um, And and another important factor here is – uh, IRS filings. Now, IRS filings have been delayed. There's been some delay because of the government shutdown. And numbers that came out last week uh, show that uh, uh, total receipts are down about 7, uh, 7% and process receipts are down 10% from last year. So people apparently are delayed filing, perhaps because of the shutdown, but uh, the processing is is way behind uh, compared to this time last year. Um, the number of, of uh, refunds that have been issued is 11.4 million so far. This was uh, data uh, going into early February. That's down 16%. So uh, this is a lot. This is a lot of money that uh, isn't going to be going into the into the retail sector. Um, uh, during the early part of the year. So, and, and if we remember last year, first quarter was also very weak. Well, it, it turned out to be a weak quarter, the only weak quarter of the whole year. And I think that might be what's in store for us for this first quarter. Okay, I did notice that for the, well, they call it now, now costs have been, seem to be being revised down. So, what's the sort of estimate now for the first quarter? Uh, the first quarter, yeah, I, the I, I, I've been looking at the fourth quarter. The the retail sh- sales shaved the fourth quarter now uh, to estimates now uh, down below two. Um, the general assumption is for the second, uh, for the first, that's the fourth quarter. For the first quarter, we're going to get a bounce back. So um, if if so the no first bounce qu- back equals problems. 
No balance. Well, uh, yes, that would be two quarters. It, it might be two quarters in a row, but it's still hypothetical because we just, we don't have the fourth quarter yeah, data sure. yet. But um, it does look like, like you mentioned, that um, the uh, the U.S. economy, which had it, where, where the employment, everything. I mean, there's a lot of indications of slowing with the factory sector, but business investment, the residential sector is is struggling. But the jobs market is so extraordinarily strong, and um, that you know, and that's your you know that's your you know the meat that's the that's the the base and as long as that's strong you would expect to see a reacceleration and all these just may be temporary issues perhaps related to the government shutdown perhaps related to the last year's spike in interest rates which were which was uh, related to the sell off in the stock market market uh, investors moved into bonds uh, and um we, we, anyway, that uh, that movement in the bonds brought uh, mortgage rates down uh, right now, and we just had a housing market uh, report that was very solid, or at least showed improvement for the early part of the year. But mortgage rates had peaked uh, uh, late last year, and that may have been part of the problem uh, late last year. So, um, but it just it does seem to be uh, tailing in with a lot of the global data that that uh, uh, we've been seeing. And and let's talk about let's talk about these uh, GDP reports out of Europe now. How many of these are preliminary reports? How many of these are final reports? What is it that we can expect to see for Germany this week? Okay, well we've had so far out of Germany, we've just had their if you like preliminary flash number. So that was a figure which showed that there was no quarterly growth at all coming out of Germany in the fourth quarter. That will be updated uh, back end of this week. And you know, by and large, they don't tend to be revised very much. So the fact that Germany actually managed a flat for the fourth quarter, at least as it currently stands, means that they did avoid technical recession, unlike Italy which currently, as we know from last week, is actually in technical recession. Now, for the Eurozone as a whole, they've had two looks at the fourth quarter so far. Their so-called full flash reading was for a 0.2% quarter-on-quarter increase in total output for the back end of last year. That really just matched the output we saw in the, the, the output growth we saw in the third quarter, which at the time the ECB said was supposed to be just a temporary slowdown. So again, that's why I'm curious to see about what's happening stateside because, as you're alluding to, uh -huh. appears to be increasing signs now that it's not just one part of the world that's slowing. Mm. You know, it's well, a whole lot. Also, the PMIs now out of Europe, they've been, um, haven't been been uh, that great this year. Is that right? And, w and what is the outlook now for first quarter GDP in the Eurozone? Well, the PMIs is a good call because we'll have them, the flash PMIs for February will be released on Thursday. And at least as far as Europe's concerned, that really is one of the key indicators for financial markets and indeed the, the European central banks as well. Now, as of the final data for January, the so-called composite output index, so this kind of pulls together overall, it's a proxy for, if you like, for GDP. That was in at just 51 point naught, so only just above this growth threshold of 50 and it was at a 66-month low. Now, if we don't see any kind of improvement coming through in the early look at February, it's going to have people getting genuinely concerned, including the ECB, about what's going to happen in the first quarter for GDP. Mm -hmm. Now, my own, my own bet is that December was a poor month for the Eurozone GDP, full stop by the look of it. We don't get monthly figures for GDP for the Eurozone, but looking at the national numbers, I think you now we could see another disappointing first quarter. And I think... Now, you know, 
Well, the PMIs on our side um, uh, that by market economics is running at about about 54 rate compared to your 51. Um, and that has shown a, a small, you know, steady, very, very steady. But the ISM, which also produces these, um, they were very strong last year. And um, and they slowed very uh, visibly at year end. And, but they've, uh, I, I, you know, kind of leveled off. So um, I, it, it's not so clear to, uh, from uh, from on this side uh, where these um, right. small, small samples uh, surveys are pointing. Well, the big worry here is Germany. If you look at the course of the PMI, you know, the Composite Output Index, through the course of last year, in Germany it fell in every month apart from one. So 11 months out of the 12 months we saw a decline. So you've got to say there's a trend slowing taking place in Germany at the moment. Of course, that's still well, getting on for 30% of overall Eurozone GDP. And, and so now, I think, uh, can, can I talk about Germany? Is uh, the, the diesel issue? Is this uh, behind a significant p- uh, portion of this? Is it more than that? Well, I think it's, it's, it should be said that we we did see a big fall off in consumption right across the eurozone um, around about the start of uh, well start of autumn time, and that was partly associated to with a, a tightening of restrictions on on car emissions, auto emissions, and that certainly seemed to you know, lead to a fairly fairly marked decrease in or in output of uh, of autos themselves but the expectation was that should duly re- reverse itself during a, you know the tail end of the fourth quarter we haven't seen it so i think there may be some special factors um, affecting the eurozone at the moment obviously i'm away from just you know, that that in particular you've got things like you know the ongoing you know strikes and a protest hitting french consumption as well but you know however you look at it you know there's enough i think from the individual sector data available to suggest that you know, underlying momentum you know, really has slowed significantly certainly since the first half of last year and that is complete contrast with really you know, what the ECB was anticipating well let's talk about uh, global rates now uh, central bank rates they've obviously made just a- perhaps, much perhaps just before we get onto that I just quickly want to mention just to fill up the, you know, the economic picture here we also had our um, last week we had fourth quarter GDP numbers out of Japan which kind of you know fills in the, the, the jigsaw puzzle now that showed a quarterly increase in GDP of 0.3 percent so at least it was positive, but it didn't offset the 0.7% drop we saw in the third quarter, which was, to be fair, hit by a number of national disasters. So again, it looks as if, you know, even within you know, Asia, you know, the big one outside of China, which we know is slowing, Japan is also slowing as well. So sorry to interrupt there, but just, well, no, yeah, but so the Bank of Japan. I just saw a, a headline from a, a policymaker there talking about uh, you know more stimulus. They're in a constant stimulus mode, I guess, right? Um, and that's not going to change. The, the uh, Reserve Bank of Australia uh, held rates uh, steady, but uh, there was uh, indications there might be some change there. Uh, New Zealand held steady. They were they, they seem more resolved and and perhaps. Can, you know, on, on a, a rising long-term rate regime, I don't know. India cut the week before we talked about that. Of course, the FOMC. You were talking about the ECB. The Bank of England is is uh, hogtied by Brexit, I guess. But are, are rate hikes going to be a thing of the past? I mean, is it already? I've, I've got to say, I think I think it's increasingly looking that way. And part of it, I think, has to do with you know, the slowdown in global economic activity. Now, you referred to the Bank of Japan. Well, we 
had the governor Cruder coming out um, earlier on this morning, um, suggesting that if we were to see a stronger yen, that could force additional monetary stimulus. I think one reason why he said that was if you look at the, the fourth quarter national accounts. Uh, so we had GDP up 0.3 percent, but you know net exports subtracted 0.3 percent, and a good chunk of that was to do with weakness of demand cup demand coming out of China. So I think you know it's the fact that we appear to have it may not be a synchronized slowdown in global activity at the moment, but there's enough of it around to make particularly those countries which are heavily exposed to exports, so the likes of China, the likes of Japan, particularly within Europe, the likes of Germany, you know, this really is becoming a big issue. And if that is the case, you say, why should rates go up? Well, stimulus now, and with some uh, banks like the ECB, they don't have any uh, room or the Bank of Japan to lower rates, unlike uh, the Fed, which, you know, that was part of the reason they wanted to raise rates. Now they, they can lower the Fed funds rate and what is a clear signal to everybody of what their policy is. But quantitative easing, is that the avenue that the, the ECP is going to have to go down? And will it, and do Europeans understand what that means? Well, whether they understand it or not remains to be seen, I suppose. But yes, ultimately, as you say, as far as ECB is concerned, there are equivalent of your Fed funds rate is, is their benchmark refi rate, and it currently stands at 0%. Um, the equivalent, if you like, in Japan stands at minus 0.1%. So simply, you know, you can cut interest rates again, but does it really make any difference? So I think it has to come down to some form of, you know, non-traditional stimulus, which this uh-huh. it seems at the moment it's going to be additional quantitative easing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And this will be directed in bonds? I suspect, bond? yes, given the size, because I'm, I'm, what, what's you know, one of the issues we have certainly coming from Europe now, and to some extent in U- in, outside of Europe, in the UK as well, is the fact that governments have bought up so much of these bond markets that you know already the action they've taken is leading to various financial distortions. So if they actually have to go back into these bond markets and start buying again, you know, it's going to start in, to some extent you know, re- reducing you know, the potential power of what they're doing in terms of having an impact because they've got well, so many- could they, could they move their buying into stocks? Now, the Japan does ETFs. So, I mean, it does. There, it there is some precedent for that. I mean, that would shake everyone up if that was ever mentioned in the US. But what would that? What, what would the ECB think of something well, like that? Well, I think they'd be extremely reluctant to do it. Because um, you say, it, was, it certainly shake up markets over here, but it's going to come down to the case that if we were to see a significant downturn, let's say, in the Eurozone economy, what have they got left? They can look at fiscal policy, and the good news there is they've actually got, um, you know, the budget deficit has come down significantly over the course of the last few years, and there is scope for some form of fiscal reflation. But I think, you know, they're going to have to look really and start scratching their heads about what additional tools they can use. What I think we will see um, in a couple of weeks' time when we have the, the March 7th ECB meeting is um, potentially at least the introduction or reintroduction of what they call these targeted long-term repo operations. And this is essentially providing longer-term cheap funding for the banks. And if we do see that, you know, it's going to be one of the first indications that the ECB is starting to get really worried about which way the economy is going. Okay. Well, um, well, that was interesting. At least I thought so. Anyway, um, <laughs> hopefully everybody else did. Before people get too bored of us rambling on, I guess we should probably call it a day then for today. Um, so anyway, on behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as always for listening, and we look forward to doing it again next week. When um, well, it may well be that a long simmering Brexit pot could finally boil over. But more on that next week. Bye for now. <laughs>